0: Uh I am going to start today um a uh a, a series on the book of Ephesians that we're going to go through uh here at church. I'm going to I'm going to go through it as you might uh guess rather slowly. Um, and uh and I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun. I really I really do. I mentioned last week before Tim shared that I was planning on starting that this week. And uh, we're just going to go right through it from 1, one to 6, whatever, 24 or whatever. And, uh, and, and probably along the way, um, I might take a few weeks off and go off on some little rabbit trail that I'm on or whatever and then come back. But hopefully at the end of this whole thing, we'll have kind of a line upon line, verse by verse study of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is, uh, as any of you used to, read, uh, used to read T.S. and Sparks, he speaks with such, Ephesians was T.S. And Sparks' favorite book. He speaks with such a fondness and amazement about the book of Ephesians and in, in that book is everything that we could ever want to talk about. Uh, there's some verses we'll, we'll go through a, a little more quickly than others, and, and some uh, some will ta- be taken together as chunks, and some we're just going to focus in on a word. If you don't under, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this in the last few years together. Uh, talk about this over thing, you know. It's uh, unless you've seen a, a spiritual word defined by the person of the Spirit, you don't know what it means. You might have a 200-word you know, definition in your brain about it, but you still don't know what it means. For instance, love. You just don't know what love is until you've seen it in the face of Jesus Christ. Faith. You think it's just something you believe in until you've understood the faith of the Son of God. Righteousness. You think it's something you're doing for God. You think it's something you can do. It's something He is and something He works through you. you know, whatever, whatever word it is gets redefined. Glory. You think it's some shiny little thing that, you know, that you get over your head when you die or something. I don't know, you know, or some place you go. Everything spiritual is defined in the person of Jesus Christ, known in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything. And so you think you know something and you don't. And uh, until the Lord begins to open the eyes of your heart and show, shows it to you in the person of Christ, so sometimes we're just going to be looking at one particular word, and we're going to say, "Look, this word must be understood if we're going to go anywhere in this book, if we're going to go anywhere in the understanding of the truth. This word must be defined in and by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, or we should just stop now, throw this book, you know, over there, go have some pizza." And I don't know, play Blues Clues or something. So, uh, which is what I like to do with my kids. Um, so we're gonna, we're just gonna, we're just gonna start, and uh, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read a little bit. And where we're gonna get stuck today is on the word grace. Uh, Paul, so we'll start here. We go right in the beginning of Ephesians. Incidentally, I'm reading from the New King James Version. I'm not partial to that version. I like it. Uh, if you don't have a New King James Version, it will it'll be very similar, um, but uh, just not as inspired. <coughs> just kidding. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus... Now, sometimes I'm just going to have to decide what to talk about or what not to. I, I, I do feel like I could stop and talk a little bit about what I think it means to be faithful in Christ Jesus. Uh, but I'm not going to. I want to go on to uh, verse 2 and I want to look at this phrase, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you. And I just kind of want to stick right there with grace to you. Paul starts every one of his uh, epistles, his letters with that phrase, "Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." A couple of times he throws mercy in there, but usually it's just grace and peace. Grace to you and peace. It wasn't just, uh, uh, you know, some ancient Greek greeting, you know, like, "Hey, what's shaken?" You know, or some, it's not like some little colloquialism of his day. It's it's an actual desire for them to. To know or to experience, to walk in, to come into the reality of grace. Uh, I would, I would guess that, uh, I would guess that most of the body of Christ has some kind of a mental concept of the meaning or the reality of that word. It's one of those words that you hear thrown around so much in the body of Christ that uh you know it, it it almost is stripped of all meaning it, it doesn 't really it means so many different things. You use it in so many different contexts it almost doesn 't really have any have any meaning you know it 's kind of like when you sneeze, someone says, "God bless you you know are you really asking God to bless them or is it just something you say it 's kind of like one of those things Unfortunately, words that are that are ripe with meaning and reality can get thrown around so much that they lose. They lose any meaning whatsoever. Grace, unfortunately, grace is like that. Uh, I would say, probably, in most uh, minds that I've bumped into, grace has something to do with God giving you something you don't deserve. I'd say that's kind of that's more or less you know how how many would you know uh, understand that word. How did you? Uh, how did you, for instance, get a new car? Oh, just by the grace of God, you know. How did you, you pass that test? Well, grace of God, I passed the test. No, see, that's not right. That's not grace. Grace is real. Grace is wonderful, but grace has nothing to do with you stumbling across nice things in the natural realm, you know. And I'm not. And I'm not saying that God may not help you on your test or help you in your finances. That may be provision. That may be kindness. But it's not grace. Grace is very specific. Grace is a very specific reality having to do with a very specific relationship. Grace is the nature and reality of your relationship, your relationship with God in Christ. Grace has to do with that, you know. And 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 uh, like I said, it, it, the word has been so robbed of meaning. It, it almost means kind of like by the skin of my teeth. You know, wh- a Christian almost gets hit by a bus and he says, "Well, man, I made that by the grace of God." You know, an unbeliever almost gets hit by a bus and oh, I made that by the skin of my teeth. You know, so grace means the skin of your teeth. No. No, it doesn't. Grace means so much. And we can, we can, just, uh, we can make it mean so little just, just by hearing it and repeating it so often that it's stripped of all meaning. So, what I want to talk about today is that Paul, in the opening of, of this letter to the Ephesians, is wishing upon them a greater and greater experience of what is the true grace and the true peace of God. He's, he's, he's wishing them both the experience of grace and the experience of of peace. But both of them can be misunderstood and misapplied by the natural mind, and generally are. But both of them are pregnant with spiritual reality that you and I have come to in Christ. So... um. I I already mentioned that that's the way I, he I say I have here in my notes that he starts all of his letters that way. I already mentioned that. But it is essential to to know that he's not he's not hoping that God would give you a greater peace or a greater quantity of grace. He's hoping, he's expecting, he's praying, he's desiring that those who have come into the reality of grace and peace would come to know themselves there, would come to realize what that is, would come to live there, that they would actually live in that grace and know that grace and have access by faith into the grace in which they stand, to abide there, to live out from there, to be defined by all that grace and peace mean. That's how he begins his letters. And in fact, you could say everything else in the letter is the detailing of... Of what he can sum up in one word called grace. He just says it and then he says, Here's the grace of God, and he writes six chapters. And he's hoping, he's beginning his letter, hoping for a greater measure working working in them, a greater a greater working of grace. So I want you just to start by saying grace isn't a feeling. Peace isn't a feeling. Grace and peace are part of what you've come to in salvation. You can have a feeling of peace. I'm not saying it doesn't exist as a feeling, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Grace is the nature and reality of relating to God in Christ. In other words, grace is the way that God relates to you in His Son and grace is the way that you relate to God in His Son. And you, and, and, and you grow in grace when you grow in your spiritual understanding, awareness, and experience of that relationship. Grace is a word that's often contrasted in the New, in the New Testament and also in you know, teaching with uh, the word law. But we have to remember, what was the law? The law was God's righteousness, character, nature, holiness, perfection, Demanded on the flesh through written words. And that was impossible. But Paul says the law brought condemnation. The law brought the increase of sin. The law, you know, he says all that. But grace isn't just God forgiving you for fall, falling short of that. What is grace? Grace is actually God's righteousness, character, nature, holiness, and perfection. Given to you and working in you and through you through the very life of His Son Jesus Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? It is not just a pardon, it is the full giving of Him in whom grace abounds. What a difference. The law looked at you and found you guilty and liable and said, Thou shalt die. God looked at you in grace and said, It's true. Thou shalt die, but in my Son thou shalt live. And all that my Son is shall be yours. See, there's riches in grace. It's bigger than just putting up with your shortcomings. And how do you live? We, 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 we mentioned this a few weeks ago and we won't get into it now, but how do you live in grace? You live in grace by faith. We looked at that grace is accessed by faith the mind of christ the renewed mind the revealing of christ spiritual understanding and all of that i don't know i don't know if you uh, are like me but when i when i hear grace preached i often hear about how wonderful it is that god pardons our shortcomings you know but but guys do you understand that grace is not just god pardoning your shortcomings God Grace is God's destruction of the source of those shortcomings and giving you all that Christ is. Grace, in other words, you could say it like this. Grace is a relationship that you've come to in, in God where Christ Himself has been made unto you all things that He is. It's so much bigger than what we thought. It's so much bigger. And I'm just scratching the surface right now. But grace is not only... Not only the end of Adam, that first man, by the blood, by the blood of the cross. Grace is then the death of Christ working in you to bring a manifest end of all that is sin, all that misses the mark, all that falls short of the glory of God. That death, being conformed to that death. All that falls short of the glory of God. To all that transgresses the covenant. Grace is the end of that working in you. And then... and then. Grace is putting all that away and allowing to live in and through you the very resurrected life of His only begotten Son. That's grace. That's a lot bigger than just forgiveness, guys. That's a lot bigger than just a pardon. Somebody asked me a question a couple a week, a week ago in the Colossians class the other day. It was, it was something about how they've heard grace taught as more or less reactionary you know you you do something naughty then you 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 kind of crawl into the throne room and you 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 put out your hands and you ask for a, a little bit of grace i messed up i need some grace wrong that's not right let me tell you something if sin if sin <clears throat> if sin is something that you understand yourself to do on occasion well, then grace might be something that you need on occasion. But if sin is something you are, then grace must be something you live by. Grace must be, in fact, Him living in you. It has to be. Now, I realize there is uh, that verse that speaks about us approaching the throne of grace and receiving it in time of need, but that's not a quantitative handout. That's not... That's not a, not a, you know, here's another slice of grace. That is an ever increasing experience and understanding and realization of the grace that you have, in which you already stand. And every minute is your minute of need. Every time you ask, every time you want it, is your time of need. You might experience grace in a particular situation, but it's a grace in which you have already stood if you stand in Christ. We have to understand that that we are that which falls short, and so it's only in and by grace. It is only in and by the life of another that God Himself is served. We have to never we have to never forget. Never ever let it you know get far from your mind. Jesus says, Apart from me you can do nothing. The flesh profits nothing. Paul says, In my flesh dwells no good thing. He says, There is none who does righteousness, not even one. This is the reality of the nature that works in the sons of disobedience all throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New. We were just reading in Friday night or somewhere recently, Jeremiah just continually saying things like that. Everything you do comes out of the deceitfulness of your own heart. It is hopelessly wicked. Everything coming out of the counsels of your own mind is wicked. And he just over and over and over again. You know, God says in Genesis 6, I think verse 5, or maybe it's 5 verse 6, but one of the two, He says, every intent of the heart of man is only evil all the time. We have to remember that's what we're starting with. That's the nature that works in our soul. So grace, grace is first the punishment and adjudication of that nature and then the working in us of that very death and then the offering through us unto God of His very Son. Grace is huge. It's therefore Christ Himself working in us that renders us able to serve God. Why? Because all things are by grace. Paul says, I would never boast except in the grace that is working in me. We serve God by grace. Grace works in us or we don't serve Him at all. I just want to read you a few verses. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace upon me was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Ephesians 3.7 Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Grace. Grace. 2 Thessalonians one twelve, That the name, which is the nature, life, character, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.28 Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. How do you serve God? You serve Him By grace. The outworking of the indwelling Christ. You serve Him by grace, or He is not uh, served. And then he goes on to say, for our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire, what does the fire consume? See, it consumes all that is not the working of grace. That's what it consumes. All that is not of grace, but rather is of flesh under a law. God has one thing that we can bring to His altar and that is the death of the old what was the one thing the old testament in the old testament god received of those of those animals that were brought to die you ever see him say god cut off the head and put it up on the wall i like those horns you know the only thing he'd receive is the death of it the death of it the total destruction of it burn it cut it up destroy it burn it set it on fire take the blood bloods all i want The the, the smell of nothingness, the smell of the end of it rising up to my nostrils is what I'll accept. You know? The The death of the old and the fragrance of its destruction became a sweet aroma unto the Lord. None of them were good enough to live. They were all good enough only to die. Every animal that's brought into the altar represented yet another time in another place where Israel had broken covenant. And I'm not going to get into that now. We're talking about that. I'll advertise our, our Friday night meetings where we're talking about the blood and the sprinkling of the blood and, and the blood being shed for the breaking of covenant. But uh, let me just... Well, I'll just leave that, I'll leave that alone for now. I'll just say this. Grace doesn't say, okay, Jason, because Jesus died instead of you, now you can live. No. Forever erase that from your mind. Grace says, Okay, Jason, because Jesus brought you into His death, now He can be your life. That's what grace says. Because you are justified by death, now you can walk in the newness of His resurrected life. See, grace is not an escaping of judgment. Hello? I know I just threw away a lot of books on your shelves. Grace is not the escaping of judgment. And don't ever let anyone tell you that it is. The most wonderful thing that grace is, is bringing you into a judgment that puts away all that you were by nature. That's a glorious thing. Grace is bearing judgment in the Lamb so that the risen Lamb can be your life. Grace is not God letting you live. Grace is God letting you bear His Son's death and subsequently abide in His Son's life. Grace is not the pardon of Adam. Oops, pardon me, God. I think I may have committed an offense. Uh, no, son, you are the offense. But grace, grace will justify you through death and save you through my risen life. Now listen to this verse, Romans 5.10. For if we, when we were enemies of God, were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by His life. Isn't that what you just said? That's grace. Grace. Oh, it's so much bigger than you think. What, what does Paul say grace is? Romans 6.3. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Then we were buried with Him by baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, we also might walk in the newness of His life. That's grace. It's it's not just some abracadabra you're forgiven. Colossians 2.11 "...in whom also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands." The putting off of the body of sins of the flesh. There's death by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, Buried with Him in baptism. There's burial. In whom also you were raised. Death, burial, resurrection. That's grace. That's grace. Romans 7.4 So, my brothers, you also have become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you might be joined to another... To Him who was raised from the dead that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Do you see grace? Grace is a death you couldn't die unto a life that you couldn't live and fruit that therefore grows in and through us by the One to whom we have been joined. Hallelujah to God. So that all we do and all that we do to serve God is by grace. We must serve Him. Why? Because He's a consuming fire. Be careful how you serve Him, Paul says. 2 Corinthians 3. Why? Because He's a consuming fire. He will only be served by grace. He will only offer... See, you better kill that thing before you think you're going to bring an offering of incense. You see? First the sacrifice, then the offering. Don't get the order messed up. Can you hear what I'm saying? Grace. A death we couldn't die, a life we couldn't live. It's bigger than we thought. It's bigger than you can think. It seems to me in the church today, and I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just, I mean, again, whenever I say anything like this, I'm looking at myself. I taught it this way for years, but it's just, it seems to me that, that grace, gr- grace can mean any, anything from, from God's leniency to, to something you say before you eat a meal. You know, don't eat that until you say grace. What does that even mean? I, you know, somehow it just means prayer. But it, it, it means so much more than that. I remember, I remember hearing this story. I was thinking about this this morning. This is a bad story, but I remember this is how this is how grace was. <laughs> I was at uh, some Christian camp, we were sitting around a campfire at night, and someone was trying to describe the gospel to me. And 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 I know you can't understand everything when you're little. I was probably I don't know seven or eight or something. And he said, he said this is he goes this is what the grace of God is like. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like you're standing out in the middle of the road, and there's this bus coming, you know, and it's coming right at you, and you're just going, and, and the bus is coming right at you, and Jesus, Jesus runs out, picks you up, throws you out of the way of the bus, and then he goes down and gets smashed by the bus. That's grace. But see, that picture is all wrong. Here's the picture. Jesus is about to get nailed by that bus. He runs over, grabs you, brings you over in front of the bus. Holds on real tight, and so, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different twist on that story. Grabs you, holds you real tight, and says, "We're both going down together." Boom! And then, and then, and then he's raised from the dead, and you're flat. You know, you're like an opossum or something. And then he says, "Now, now, how about my resurrected life as your life from among the dead? How about that?" How about grace means now that you have died with me you live in and by me. That's a, that's a, that's a good campfire story for if anyone you use that one around the... <laughs> Tell tell your kids that one. That that's really good. <laughs> but see, if you'd, if he didn't take you into his death, your death would have never ended. What was the offense to God? That's why I I said he ran off and grabbed you. Because what he brought you into was a death you couldn't die. I could kill you, resuscitate you, zap, kill you, zap, grab, and a hundred times and you still would be Adam by nature. But only if you are put into the death of Jesus Christ and have that death worked in you can His death to that whole old man and that old creation be worked in you so that you can walk in the newness of life. Is that not what Philippians 3 is talking about? That we would know the fellowship of His sufferings be conformed to His death that we would attain to His resurrection from among the dead. So whether you like the bus story or not, it's still pretty pretty accurate. Grace is this unspeakable relationship that you have with God through the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. First working in you a death that you couldn't die. You couldn't die it in a million years. A death that actually removes both the offenses and the offender. And then, can it get better than that? Yes, it gets better than that. Then it is a continual relationship of sanctification, purification, transformation, while that death is worked into every area of you that must be conformed to death. Blood is sprinkled on every place in you that still breaks covenant. Places in your understanding where you still think, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm back to be a missionary. No. No. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Let's put a little more blood on there. That obviously didn't die yet. You know? So it's a continual sanctification, transformation through that blood, the conformity, Paul says in Philippians three, conformity to that death. Second Corinthians four, bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Through conformity to death. And, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But I will say just to say that. It is in conformity to His death by grace that you are transformed. Then what? Is there more to grace? Yes, there's more to grace. Paul speaks of the unsearchable riches of grace. Grace then, having removed the old, having killed and consumed the dead, now turns your very soul into a manifestation, a fragrance of the risen One. That you, Second uh, 2 Corinthians 2.14, you become the fragrance of of Christ unto God, you become the outworking of that indwelling life. Then you, you can actually serve God in the newness of life. See, I'm not talking about you becoming Jesus, but I am talking about the sacrifice put away so that now there can be an offering unto God. See? I'm talking about blood being shed so that now there can be some incense Now I'm going right back to the tabernacle here. Go back to the tabernacle in my head with me. If you're not there with the tabernacle, go back and look it up. You'll find that the incense offering is only after you get the blood done. You don't do any incense before the thing's dead. I'm talking about I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I'm talking about Romans 6 where Paul defines grace. Paul, how, 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 would you, how would you define grace, Paul? W- w- would you say that, that we can keep sinning because grace has me covered? Uh, no, that's not what I would say. I would say that grace is, first of all, being, Romans 6 3, baptized into his death. And then I would say it's buried with him where all the old is put away. And then I would say it is raised up, walking in the newness of his resurrection. That's how I would define grace. Jesus, how would you define grace? Would you say it was just letting that woman caught in adultery go free without getting stoned? No, no. That was just demonstrating that all of her accusers were equally in need of grace. I would say, first of all, John 3.18, that... Uh, that the one not believing in Me has been condemned already. And then I would say John 6.53, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. And then I would say John 5.25, truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I'd say that's grace. Do you see that the judgment of God finds you either way? you are either judged by God in the Lamb, and therefore by His grace you can live in and by the Lamb's resurrection, the one who was slain and rose again, or you are judged by God on your own apart from the Lamb, and it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Apart from Christ, you do not want to face that judgment. He is a consuming fire. But you're stricken with His judgment either way. The only question is whether you face your death in that lamb and then find your life as that lamb. That's what the Hebrews did, or what they were supposed to. See, death visited Goshen that night. Death visited Goshen where they were. It's just that when death visited Goshen, the Hebrews were already found dead in the blood of the Lamb. And so it passed on to Egypt and killed whatever was not covered by the blood. Or, are you going to face your death apart from the Lamb? And that's what Pharaoh and the Egyptians did. They faced judgment apart from the blood of the Lamb and there was a cry that came out of Egypt like no cry that had ever been heard before. Can you hear what I'm saying? I'm saying that unless you fall on the rock and are broken together with Him which is how it reads in the Greek, otherwise that rock will fall on you and grind you to powder. You may have heard me say this before, but, but uh, that word broken there uh, in Greek, soon phlao, soon meaning union, phlao, broken, broken in union with, fall on the rock and be broken in union with Him. You either go down with him and are broken together in that judgment. Jesus says, when one, or he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. This he spoke of the manner of death he would die. John 12, 31-ish. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14-ish. When one died, all died. All died. See? We're all going down to, it's like he just, he didn't just grab you and pull you in front of the bus. He grabbed everyone. We're all going in front of this bus. So that for anyone that's now dead on the road wants me as their life, I'm the resurrection and the life. You see. So, where was I? Yeah, when I'm lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. When one died, all died. This is the judgment of grace, and you either you either face his death, bear his death, and so live by his life, or you cannot appear before him. No man, he says it in Exodus, you've read it, no man can appear before me empty, saith the Lord. No man shall appear, appear before him without bearing the death of that lamb. Don't even try it. I'm not going not gonna to go into this in any detail, but you look it up on your own time. I found it really interesting. It's this little curious verse in Exodus 13, 13. This is immediately after, after the night of the Passover. They hadn't even crossed the Red Sea yet. They had just done the Passover, gone in the death the morning. They wake up. God says, whatever opens the womb is mine. The firstborn is mine. And that obviously speaks of Christ. We've spoken of that before. We'll speak of that again. He's the firstborn from among the dead. He breaks open the womb of death and all of that. Okay, but then He says this little weird thing. and He, he goes to Moses. He says, Moses, look. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But, Moses, look, if you have a donkey... If you have a stiff-necked, stubborn, bull-headed, firstborn donkey, here's what you have to do with the donkey. This is is before they've even crossed the Red Sea. This isn't back in Leviticus when they're going through all these long regulations and rules. This is right here in the middle of the Passover and the Red Sea. God says to Moses, Moses, if you have a stiff-necked donkey, here's what you have to do. One of two things. You either redeem that stiff-necked donkey with the blood of a lamb or you break that donkey's neck because none shall stand before me empty-handed. What a strange thing to say. Either that donkey is redeemed through the blood of the Lamb or that donkey is to have its neck broken. That is exactly what just happened in all the land of Egypt. Jason, what are you saying? I'm saying that we stand and live in the life of another by grace and are the redeemed of the Lord. I'm saying that we face judgment in that Lamb, in the blood of the Lamb, rather than having Him break our neck on our own. I'm saying that no man can stand before God empty. No man can stand before God without that blood. No man can see God and live, and yet a man that has died with that Lamb lamb can see Him and know Him and in fact live in Him. We either walk through His death, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been baptized into His death. Or we're there facing the plagues of Egypt on our own. What a grace this is. A death that is given to you. A death that is worked into you. A life that is manifested through you and experienced by you. Grace. Grace. You either stand in grace or you cannot stand. You either stand in grace or you cannot stand. You either redeem the donkey with the blood or you break his neck. You either stand in grace, you either stand in the life of another or you cannot stand. No man shall stand before me empty. So there's just these these two options. Redeem the donkey with the blood of the lamb or break its neck. There's one thing you can't do. I can just picture God saying to to Moses, here's one thing you can't do. One thing you must never do. You must never claim that this grace just pardons the offense without crucifying the offender. You can't do that. Don't do that. You must not think or teach that the grace of God is the freedom to live your life with God's stamp of approval. Friends, no. The grace of God is the freedom to lose your life and to find His. Hallelujah. The grace of God is taking His yoke upon you, His cross, learning of Him and finding rest for your soul. Don't leave the yoke part out. That's the main part. The grace of God is being conformed to His death that you might attain to His resurrection. Matthew 10 Thirty-nine. He who finds his life shall lose it. He who loses his life for my sake shall find it. There's grace. Matthew 16.25 Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. Whoever desires to lose his life for my sake shall find it. Luke 9.24 I'm just taking them from a few different Gospels. Whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake, he will save it. Same thing. Grace is a relationship with God wherein you have lost your life and found His. Whether you realize it to be so or not is whether or not you are growing up in, experiencing, abiding in, and and enjoying the reality of grace. But that is what grace is. It is a terrific exchange of death for life. It is a rela- I'm going to repeat this. It is a relationship with God wherein you have lost your life and found His. And therefore, all that was true, all that was once true of your life is no longer true of you. For instance, there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There was condemnation for those who are outside of Christ Jesus. That is no longer true of you. On the other side of that same coin is that all that is true of the life you have gained by losing yours has now become true of you. Like what? Well, like you are accepted in the Beloved. Like you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Like you have the mind of Christ. Like the Spirit of the Son cries out from your heart, Abba, Father. See, all of this relationship is yours by grace. Everything through an exchange of your death For his life. Do you see grace here? A little bit more this morning. All that God could possibly have given a human being wrapped up in one package has been given to you in the person of his Son. You now stand in that Son and you stand in his relationship to the Father. Colossians 3, three, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And all of that is yours by grace. Grace, Tim referenced this just very briefly last time. Didn't talk a whole lot about it, but he said something like, he didn't even use the word grace, but he said, how do you know God? You know God in His Son. Grace is knowing God in His Son. Grace is you Grace is God knowing you in His Son. You could say it that way. Or grace is you knowing God in His Son. So we're almost out of time here. I'll wrap up here. But that being true, we need to, and I I may go on to do this. See, we did one word, so we're not going very fast. Grace. Um, That being true, we must not fall short of grace. There's this great passage. I just advertise it to you. Hebrews 12. Where uh, the apostle, who I believe to be Paul, uh, says, "Hey, don't, don't make sure you don't fall short of grace. Make sure you don't fall short of grace like Esau, like Esau did." We talked about that on Friday night. It was a really terrific study. Basically, the, 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 the crux of it is that it's not that you're missing out on on the reality of grace, but you can fall short of experiencing, walking, in, enjoying, knowing the reality of grace. It's not like you have less grace than me. If we're in Christ, this is grace. But you can fall short. You can fall short. You can trade in all that is yours by birthright for a cup of stew, just like Esau did. You can trade in the second for the first. You can trade in all that God has given you in Christ for something that is temporary passing and nonsense. You can fail to walk in that which is yours by birthright. What is yours by birthright? To, him, to those who believe in him, he gave them the right to be called sons of God. Let's not fall short of grace. Let's not fall short of walking in the reality of grace. Let's not fall short of growing in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a verse, I think it's 2 Peter 3. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not fall short of knowing the fullness of a of fullness of, of the grace of God in which we stand. So we'll just, uh, just skip that and that, that. We'll stop there. That's good enough. Why don't we stand and we'll pray.